to Susquehanna Valley Church Podcast. My name is Matt Saxinger, and I am the head pastor here. Hey, we want to help you think about stuff you need to think about and help you talk about stuff you need to talk about. If this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast, we're so glad you're joining us. We've got some other episodes I'd love for you to check out. Today, we've got a very special guest with us, and I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Barry Payne, and I've been a member here for a while and uh, had the opportunity to serve here and uh, continue to enjoy attending here. All right, Barry, why don't you clue our audience in on a little bit of kind of who you are and just a concise overview of maybe what you did in life and, uh, you know, are you married and you got kids or, or what's what's that story? Yeah, I, uh, I'm married for 44 years and uh, my wife and I started pretty young. We were 18 and 19 when we got married uh, and uh, not even a year went by and we adopted our son and uh, that might lead you to think that we actually had a clue or we're a little bit more mature, uh, but actually the opposite was true. We were very much unaware of uh, so many issues in life, and uh, that created some struggles for us. But uh, now, after 44 years of marriage, I can tell you I'm more in love with my wife now than when we started out. Hmm. Uh, as far as you know, what I've done in life, uh, I went to Votech and uh, took sheet metal and welding and followed the welding career uh, for my whole career. Worked at a variety of different companies, ended up with PPL, retired from there. I've uh, been very blessed uh, with how uh, my work has uh, provided for us. Uh, and I'll also share with you that becoming a grandparent has become one of the most joyous things in my life. That's wonderful. Indeed it is. Yeah. One of the things I appreciate you, Barry, is just uh, your ability to handle so many things well. Um, you, you have a knowledge of, of just about everything and how it works. And then uh, that that's not just a practical knowledge, but I'd say that's true of a, of interpersonal relationships as well. And and so we want to we kind of hit you up on some of your thoughts on marriage and, and love uh, from God's perspective. And so I'm just going to shoot a couple of questions at you if you're cool with that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you said you were married when you were 18 and you were 19. Meaning my wife and I. My wife was 18, I was 19. Okay, I'm glad you're clarifying that you are the, the older one. That's... Indeed I am. And she never fails to remind me that I'm older than her. I'm sure, I'm sure. Hey, so uh, what do you remember what your first date was? Yes, actually, our first date uh, did not uh, end with us continuing to date for a while. Uh, she invited me over to her house, her parents' house where she lived uh, to swim. On the with first her. date over yeah. to her parents' house. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to swim in the pool that they had. Uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't just her and I. It was uh, A friend of mine was along, and uh, I think, Probably she had more interest in him than me, as it turns out I discovered later. <laughs> uh, so I think that probably led to why uh, she didn't really want to see me anymore, because uh, he wasn't the one that was interested in her. So maybe maybe you were just the ploy to make him feel jealous. I, 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 I believe that definitely I was, I was being used in that, yes. But you won at the end of the day. That's good. Wow. So uh, so how, how long were, do you remember about how long you dated until you were married or? Uh, we actually were dating only a few weeks, maybe two or three weeks when we made the decision that we wanted to get married. Wow. And, uh, I can't accurately tell you how many months later it was we got married. We were given a, a month by our parents when we told them that we wanted to get married. And they said, well, you can't get married until, uh, August because we need some time to get some money saved up and to plan it. So we looked at the first Saturday in that month and that's when we got married. That's fascinating. <laughs> what, what day is it? We uh we got married August second. Okay, I'm August eighth over here, so that's that's what I was curious about. 
All right. So you mentioned now that you were unaware of the issues. And I find that to be true a lot of times when, when couples get married specifically at a younger age, but also in general, there's just a lot of things that, you know, we thought we had figured out. And, and so my, my question for you is why, what were some of those things for you? If you can remember. Well, I was, I was so very naive. Uh, didn't realize that about myself, but, uh, you know, my goal, uh, in, in wanting to get married wasn't just about, you know, finding a woman that, that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. It was also about becoming independent. I wanted to get out from my parents' house, uh, and finding a girl that I fell in love with, you know, was the automatic quickest way to make that happen. So to, so to get out of being dependent, you got married. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. And, and I was naive about it because, you know, what I pictured was, you know, and now I get to be my own boss. You know, I, I, can, I can do what <laughs> I want. You were, you were setting this marriage up to win. <laughs> you know, I pictured it, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to, to be with the love of my life and it's going to be fun and, uh, you know, all that other stuff. Well, you know, what other stuff? And uh, it was pretty rude awakening. Uh, you know, actually there is, you know, still a house that needs to be cleaned and now my mom's not here. And my wife doesn't want to be my mom. Uh, that didn't really work out too well for either one of us for a while. Uh, yeah, I can imagine that would be the case. <laughs> and uh, you know, going to work, I was fine with that. Uh, but thinking that I didn't really have much responsibilities, you know, beyond just bringing a paycheck home and and uh, having fun is is what I thought that was going to be. Sure. Uh, and it was for a short while. Uh, Life always uh, has a way of educating us. It, it does. And it's funny because there are some correlations for myself. Um, uh, Corinne and I, we got married when I was 27. Uh, she would have been 24. I, I, got, I married even younger than you did. So, um, But I remember uh, I had been living on my own. And just naturally, when you live on your own, you're either going to be a total slab or you're going to have to have some basic life skills to manage, you know, manage things like doing laundry and doing the dishes. And... A temptation that I, I I never experienced before was to expect somebody else to do it, like you were talking about, like a wife that's your mom, and and so now all of a sudden I, I assume that you know at least I mean logically at least eighty percent of the time I wouldn't have to do the dishes anymore, and I don't know why why I assume that would be the case. I mean, you know, fifty fifty is the much more reasonable thing, but just intuitively I just assumed okay that that'll be something that gets taken care of. And that those expectations of being able to expect somebody else to do something for you, that's it really throws you off. Yeah. And on their side, you know, the fact that you would expect them to do that devalues them and makes them feel like they're not important. So it's it's just a, a big ball of chaos waiting to happen there. Anything else for you that that you say you know would say this is something that I didn't see going into, or you know, I didn't realize how hard it would be to overcome this. Um, I was a pretty emotionally closed off young man. Uh, I was raised in a house where I was shown love, but love wasn't expressed. Mm. Uh, and I have no uh, regrets about that. I, I look back at my childhood and, and my parents with great respect and uh, feel that they did a, a great job raising me. Uh, but I married an Italian uh, and she came from a, a world where, you know, you share your emotions uh, if, if you didn't say it, then it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, and that was very foreign for me. And it was, it was really uh, one of the initial battles uh, that we had to go through, you know, me getting out of my shell and her not being hurt by one, 
my being quiet and two, when I stopped being quiet, I had to learn how to express myself because I probably went from zero to a hundred, uh, you know, holding things in until I couldn't hold them in anymore than, than blasting out with something that is unfair and inappropriate, which of course creates more pain and right. uh, it kind of becomes a cycle where you end up shutting down or shutting the other person down because you're not dealing with it well. Uh, as ridiculous as it is now to say, uh, when I look back on it, uh, but back in that time, I actually believed that just because I came home from work every day, that shows that I still love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't have came home. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, from her perspective, that, that didn't, that, that's not the, the message that she was receiving. I came home from work. I'm pretty sure she probably was thinking I came home because I was expecting dinner and, you know. Sure. Her to do those things that I didn't want to do. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you, you touched on communication. Communication to me is obviously such a big part. Um, and, and I've done some counseling scenarios with somebody from that, uh, the Italian background. And the nice thing is you never have to guess what they're thinking. You know, the, the difficulty is sometimes there's the filter isn't there as, as much as it should be. But um, my, my upbringing, communication was really just about who can prove, you know, how smart they are. And who can be the better lawyer to win the argument? Yeah. And uh, you might get what you want. You might prove your 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 point, but you're going to hurt a lot of people in the process. And for me, it was it was really coming to terms with this reality that nobody really trains you how to talk to people. You yeah. know? It, it's funny you say that. I, I never really expressed that thought out loud, but but you're absolutely right. That is a struggle. I think so many of us uh, have to go through in our maturing process. Yeah. And like, I could talk to myself pretty well. I talk to myself in my head all day long. But now to be able to get those thoughts from my head out to somebody else, so that they understand what I'm communicating, not that they understand their version that they hear, uh, is going to be really, really important to be able to, to, to navigate through some of that stuff. I remember one time in particular, um, you know, Corinne and I were, were talking to somebody and um, this is somebody who had wanted to come over to her house and it hadn't worked out a couple of times. And I said uh, to, to the person, I was like, well, you, you guys can come over on, on the weekend because Corinne's not going to be around. And what I meant by that was simply because Corinne's not going to be here. I don't have anything to do. I'm bored. Um, what, what I found out later was that Corinne was upset at me because I invited those people over specifically when she wasn't there. Like I was making it a point for them to be able to avoid her or right. for her to not want to be around them. And, I, when she said, hey, I, I was hurt by that, I was like, I have no idea what you could possibly be hurt by. Uh, it was just what I said and what she heard was entirely different. And, and now in hindsight, you can clearly see both sides of it. A absolutely. And so uh, it really is a skill to be able to communicate well. And let's face it, that's there's frustration with that because nobody likes to have to repeat themselves. Um, nobody likes to have to slow down and, and maybe consider that they didn't do a good job communicating. Like I think in the moment, it's really tough to say I didn't. I didn't say this well to you. It's just it's tough to slow down and do that. And that that's a big component of becoming a team where you actually rely on one another. One of the things that that I I didn't see very clearly. I particularly didn't see the role that I was playing in it. Uh, you know that thing about wanting it to be your way or wanting to win the debate about whatever the issue is, uh, what that ends up doing is it puts the other person in a place where 
you know, they don't really want to lean on you. Yeah, it divides the team. Yeah. And and I didn't understand that for a long time. Why, you know, particularly when the chips were down, uh, I, I would feel like uh, my wife would uh, want to handle it on her own rather than allow me to, to share in the burden. And, right. and I, I was confused by that. And the reality of it was, you know, the, the biggest part of that being that way was my fault. That's that's a fascinating statement, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna touch on that in a minute. You told me a story the other day that I want to get to that that was really kind of the heart of what I was thinking. Man, we need to get this on a podcast because it was pretty uncool. Um, but before that, I, I want to just lead in with another question. Um, obviously, what we do as a church, what we do here is spiritual. So we're looking at like you know practical everyday stuff, but there's always this spiritual dimension. That I think we all sense, and you, you and I have talked about this a number of times before, and you talk about just an experience where you were working in a garage, and you felt like somebody was there, and you looked over your yeah. shoulder a bunch of times, and, and nobody was there, but you knew you knew something was watching you, you turned around, finally, and there was a mouse sitting there. Yep. And it was just a little thing like you, that, that you were like, I sensed this reality that wasn't physically observable at the time. Yep. And, and that was a key for you, that there's something that's spiritual at play here. Um, and I, so I was thinking about that in the nature of, of love itself, because we live in a society that likes to de-spiritualize love yeah. and make it evolutionary and, and chemical, not spiritual. Like, so what are your thoughts on that? Like, why do you feel you have somebody who's saying, I think love is just for the good of society. And we evolved that way to, to see love as a good thing for society. What would you say to that? Well, I, I don't disagree that love is a good thing for society. I, I think I think that love, uh, a society without love, is is a very uh, ugly and uh, difficult society to exist in. But love is not just a physical thing, uh, and you know to try and boy, I feel like I'm not going to be very good at explaining this. But to try and explain the spiritual side of love. Uh, you know, going back to, you know, the story I shared with you about that mouse, you know, I was so aware and I kept trying to figure out who was looking in the windows or something. It turned out that it just was that mouse. That realization that, that there's a dimension beyond the senses that we usually identify with. And I think love can also play into that. Uh, but it's not sure. something that happens without effort or purpose on, on your part. Uh, and I've got to experience that in my marriage. Hmm. Interesting. What, like, like how so? The way the story that I shared with you, I think, is to me a, is a spiritual component. Well, I know it is because of the struggle that my wife was having. Uh, she was talking to God about me. Uh, and, you know, this went on as she relayed the story to me, I believe for a couple of years, actually, where she was so desiring me to be a better husband in some specific ways. Uh, that I was oblivious to, you know, at, at this time in our marriage, you know, this isn't back when we were young and trying to figure life out. You know, we we were doing well. You know, our marriage was, was I thought, pretty solid. Uh, but yet she felt she needed something more and different from me, and she would talk to God about it. You know, she shared this with me after the fact. Uh, I was oblivious as she was going through this. Uh to where she would talk to God about, you know, there's some things about Barry that, that need to change, Lord. And I know that you see that too. I know that that's what you want for him as, as a Christian man and husband. 
Uh, so Lord, so I, she's I need... disappointed. She's reaching out to God. Yep. God change him. Yep. Right. And she was pretty specific. And what she kept hearing back from God was, you need to change. And at first she even questioned whether so not, she was... Not, not Barry needs to change, but Glenda's hearing from God, Glenda needs to change. Yes. Yeah. And and that's that, that's a battle that she struggled with for, for some time. Uh, and then finally, she gave into it. Uh, and she decided that she was going to start to treat me you know, in those areas that she was seeking me to change in, she decided that she was going to treat me the way she needed to be treated. And I was unaware of all this. You know, she didn't share any of this beforehand. It's only after the fact that, that I, I got to hear the whole journey that she went through. But as she changed how she was treating me, I was, the way I simply describe it is I was broken by it. Wow. I pretty quickly realized, in fact, I'm tearing up now just every time I share this story, it emotionally moves me. She treated me with respect, compassion, understanding, and a purposeful, meaningful, was real. She, she wasn't doing it out of a chore. She, her heart was in it. And that so impacted me that I got to a place where I recognized I, I was not an equal mate. My wife was a so much better mate to me than I was to her. And it, it broke me. I, I had to change. I felt obligated to change. I needed to change. Uh, and it was easy to change. It was not a battle at all for me to shift. Right, because you felt safe to change because she had already made it a loving environment for you to see some of that stuff. Absolutely. Wow. That, that's, uh, I, just, I love that concept of here's this wife who, who sees that her husband needs to change. Her husband would agree to it in an absolute sane moment, but is not going to get there right now because he doesn't feel valued himself. And she's going, God, what do I do? What do I do? And she's just like, God's just like, you know, start loving him the way, respecting him the way that I want. And that that's what creates within you the desire to change. That's incredible. It was incredible. And, and that, you know, I wish for everybody to be able to, to get to that place in their relationship because it makes – all the struggles, because there's still struggles still come, you know, it's not like all of a sudden everything's perfect and you never have any issues. Uh, but how those issues are dealt with is so very different. You know, there really isn't, it's no longer a contest about being right. It, it, you both are looking for what's the best solution for my mate. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. You know, when we do pre-marriage counseling, I'll take whatever the future name is going to be. And so like if it was you guys, I, I'll very early on introduce the language of team pain because it's not about Barry and Glenda. It's about team pain. And we really need to understand that concept that God uses of the two becoming one is far more real than we think about. And, and so I often will refer back to when I was a little kid. And when one of my brothers and I would be fighting, the goal was to get on top of the other one and, and grab their hand and take their hand and hit their own chin with their own hand. Uh, and you'd say over and over again, do you know what you'd say? What are you, what are you hitting yourself for? for. <laughs> what are you hitting yourself for? And it was a perfect crime because if the parents came in, they're going, what's going on here? Yeah, I, I didn't do anything. He hit himself, right? He's hitting himself. <laughs> well, in marriage, like when we use an insulting tone, towards our spouse, we're hurting ourselves. We're hurting our team. Yeah. And that, that's a powerful thing to consider. 
Um, and, and so a couple things about that. Let, let's throw back to this this evolution atheism concept. Like I, I just think that there's too much of a connection for it to be not spiritual. Uh, you look at you look at divorces, and if anybody's been through that, I'm sorry, and and my heart goes out to you because I've seen the pain that it can cause and how it can rip people apart. And and I'm going, look, if this is not spiritual, if this no. is just casual and chemical, then then oh, then what's the deal? It hurts too much. Right. It hurts too much. I like this is my response to somebody who says, well, well, love is just explained by a chemical production within us for the good of society i'm going it hurts too much we dream and hope for too much from it and we experience too much greatness in it we, we hope for too much in it it hurts too much and we experience too much from it i'm looking at my marriage and i'm going when my wife does something to let me down or when i let her down the pain there is bigger than this is just a chemical thing for evolution for the good of society uh, there's something some dynamic by which we're we're, we're connected on a level that's not chemical, on a level that's not necessarily physical, but on a level that, that has to be something, well, what else do you have? Spiritual. Yep. And, and so for me, like, I hope too, for too much from it, and when it lets me down, it hurts too much. When it doesn't let me down, it's too great. It, it's too amazing. And so I, I look at the whole evolution thing, and, and I'm like, I, I just don't get it. Like, if that's the case, and it's, if it's the whole the whole it's for the good of society thing doesn't really connect with me anyway, because I think really people at the end of the day are going to go, what's it matter? Like if I live for the good of society, I'm just going to stop existing and it will never matter again. So really what I should have done was just do whatever felt the best for me for the longest that I was here. And I have often thought that the wisest, if atheism is real, there's no God, there's no eternal consequences for what happens after this. There's no afterlife. I've always thought that the wisest guy is the criminal that doesn't get caught because he's found the shortest route to the most pleasure and he's not been accountable for it. And, and so why not? Like, I, I don't see any moral boundaries that would discourage somebody from just saying, I'm going to do what feels good all the time, regardless of whether or not it's good for anybody in society. I'm going to die and not exist anymore. So it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And then you look at love and you've got this incredible, beautiful thing. And I'm going, it's too much for what evolution puts out there. I, I think there's got to be a spiritual reality, and I think there's got to be a God who designed it. And specifically, you look at all the religions, and you got the God of the Bible who says God is love. That He, he, he is love. That's why we understand love. Um, and so you're talking about this concept with Glenda, which I think everybody would, would admire and say is incredible and good and pure, that she thought about just loving you and that being what she can control, not trying yep. to control you. Yep. And and it's really, that's a very, very biblical concept. So Ephesians 5, and if you're a community group or if you're looking for somebody to have a conversation about this because we don't want you to just think about stuff, we want you to talk about stuff. Um, Ephesians 5 in like 18 to the end of the chapter, uh, I started at 18 because it talks about the spiritual role in all this and then goes down through the end of the chapter there. There's a phrase about husbands and wives and their interactions towards each other to love and to respect. And there's a, such a key, key, powerful phrase there. Um, wives, respect your husbands as to the Lord. Yes. And husbands, love your wives um, sacrificially as to the Lord. Like, what, what, how did Glenda live that out for you? Well, you know, as I said, you know, she started treating me. In a, in a, and I think a, a big component of this 
that it was sincere. She wasn't just uh, following orders or doing a chore in how she treated me. Her heart was in it. Yeah. And because her heart was in it, it, that was so real for me. And I think that's the spiritual side of it. I don't think that your heart can be in it if if it's not a spiritual component. Right. And if you're just pretending like, hey, they got it all together, so I'm gonna, they don't have it all together, but I'm going to love them. Like if they don't, that's not going to be authentic. No, right. But if you're going, okay, I'm going to respect him as to Christ who does have it all together. So I'm just going to ignore, in a sense, the performance of Barry. And, and again, like, so if you're listening in and you're in a context that, that is, you know, an abusive or a, a dangerous setting, please understand this is, this is not for that. This is for the everyday marriage that's, that's struggling. Um, if we, we got to connect our treatment of our spouse, not to their performance, but to Christ's performance. That's what changed you. Yes. Glenda's gone. I'm going to respect this man who doesn't deserve respect because Jesus wants me to, and he deserves respect. Yes. And, and that's, that's where the real power in this comes from. Um, and and I, I just love that idea of I'm freeing them. I'm free. I'm freeing my behavior from their performance. I'm detaching I, it and taking it to Christ. It's, I think that we all struggle, not just in our marriage relationships. You know, I've, I've heard it said, uh, by psychologists and, and read books where, you know, it, it's it's an often repeated, very common phrase that, you know, the only person that we have control of in this world is ourselves. Right. We have no control of anybody else. But I think exactly. we, that we fail to really apply that uh, most of the time. And yep. and I think that, you know, what Glenda did in my life is, is an example of her actually being in that place of realizing that, that she wasn't going to be able to control me and trying to control me wasn't going to get the result that that was needed no and even if we do control somebody else and we get the result we want it's never quite what we want and and there's it's always a tainted where we recognize that we manipulated to get what we wanted and it's it's just not quite as satisfying in that regard and let me ask you a question how important is marriage to god in your opinion marriage yeah i believe that marriage is huge and not that I believe you have to be married to be able to experience God. I believe that there are those that are wired to be single and, and, and they're healthy and fine in that. But I think the majority of us are wired the other way. And I believe that marriage is our opportunity here on earth to work on and understand, maybe it would be a better way to say it, the relationship that God wants to have with us. Oh, absolutely. I'm on board with you 100%. I think you see that in the beginning in Genesis. I think you see that in the end in Revelation. I think that makes sense of all of history. It's all about this love dynamic between God and humanity and whether or not we accept it and whether or not we enjoy it and we stay within the confounds of his love yep. or we rebel and go our own way and live in a life of sin. Um, and God's going, it's better here with me. It's better here with me. It's better here with me. Uh, and so you just have parallel after parallel in the scriptures of marriage and our relationship with him. And I think they're they're showcasing this importance to God yes. of let's get the small scale looking like the large scale, at least at least it bearing a resemblance of our relationship with him. Two scriptures that just jump out with me. I just want to walk through them uh, real quick here. First Peter 3, 7, husbands in the same way, be considerate 
uh, as you live with your wives. So, so think about them, consider how they're feeling, think of what they're going through, be compassionate. We've talked through this concept uh, in the sermon of this entering their world, not just going through your world, but entering their world. So husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, let me comment on that really quick. Weaker does not mean does not mean less than. If, I, I use it to uh, like this idea of more fragile, like because they're more sensitive typically um, and more in tune with things emotionally. Uh, let me let me say it this way. Um, I, I talked to a marriage counselor who said men are like a five gallon bucket and women are like a precious priceless vase. Vase or vase? I don't know how you say it. We'll call it vase because it sounds it sounds more delicate that way. But you know, guys, we, we get stuff done, and, and it doesn't matter if you throw it in the back of the pickup truck, and, and it's still going to do its job. But there's a there's a, this this aspect with which a, a female tends to be more fragile, and that's not lesser because that's often part of what makes them the most incredible blessing in the marriage relationship is this dynamic where where we work well together. Um, and so all that to say, that's not even the point of why we're going to this text, but I feel like it gets taken out of context a lot. But treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. And here's the part that just blows me away, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So, so God's going, if you don't treat her right, I'm not going to answer your prayer. If you don't love her and respect her, I'm not going to answer your prayer. And, you know, that's not just in our marriage relationships. I mean, you know, repeatedly in Scripture, it talks about us, you know, in my words, keeping a short list with God, uh, where if you're not talking to God and seeking God and examining your own actions on a daily basis and how that measures against what you believe what scriptures show that how we're supposed to live, you know, that I think plays a, a huge role in our relationship with God and, and God hearing us and us seeing God in our lives. You know, I, I've been blessed not just in my marriage, but, you know, in my cancer journey, which that's a whole nother story that I'm not get into, but yeah, I've we'll, seen, we'll save that for another podcast. But, uh, you know, I've seen God show up in my life again and again, Lately, and I've come to realize that I probably spent decades of my life being oblivious to God showing up in my life because I was not purposely looking to build that relationship with him, to be committed in a way that I should be. Uh, And I regret that I had all those years that I probably missed recognizing God has been alongside of me many times when I was oblivious to it. Sure, sure. And I'm so tickled now that, you know, when I do get to see it. Well, and— and I wonder how much of that is connected to you're at a different place where you're loving your wife the way that God wants you to, or at least at least in that ballpark, in that arena. Right. And, and so more of your prayers are being answered. Because I think what Peter's doing, he's, he's laying out something pretty dang powerful, powerful here, where he, he says, look, God doesn't want your input if you can't love her. <laughs> like, he, he, he's not going to... His your treatment of her, that marriage relationship is so central to what he wants to do that he says, get that right before I answer these prayers. And that, that's just a fascinating thing to me because I think if we said, well, what's more important, answering prayers or, or the way I treat my spouse, we'd probably say, oh, it feels pretty spiritual to say well, answering prayers. And God's going, well, I'm not going to do that until you until you get the treatment of the spouse down appropriately and that's a that's a humbling thing 
Well, I think it it can be boiled down somewhat to, to where's your heart truly at in, in what you're doing and saying and, and feeling and seeking. Uh, you know, does that go back to, you know, Cain and Abel, the story of them, the brothers? Yeah. Uh, you know, where your heart was at, where your desire is, played a huge role in yeah. what God was willing to to, to hear. Yeah, and, and this reality of if— if we uh, if we're not at all concerned with what God wants, He's not going to give us what we want in nope. prayer. It, it comes down to us saying, "God, what do you want the most?" Um, and after loving Him and serving Him and following Him, He's going to take care of that person that you live with. Figure that out. Yep. You know, care for them. So that's one that jumps out to me. Another scripture, Deuteronomy twenty four five. So we go all the way back to the law, and there's this um, crazy verse here that just blows my mind away. Uh, it says, "If a man is recently married." He must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to stay home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. Now, here's where that just, that just amazes me. So if you know anything about Israel, it's not like there isn't a war going on all the time. Right. I mean, they're constantly being attacked or at war with somebody. <clears throat> and so you've got... You've got this reality where probably every year there's a threat of war. And and the, the law comes out and says, look, here, here you go. If you're married in the first year of your married, you got to stay home. And I could picture that guy at home going, ha, that's nice. But you don't understand. I got to go out there. If I don't go out there, I'm not going to have a home here. Yeah. So how's that going to work? Or, or he's going to go, my dad's out in that battle. I'm, are you expecting my dad and my brothers to fight that battle? Why stay home? And I make my wife happy? And really? I think I think that's the key line too. Make makes his wife happy. Right. That's that's Not his she stated him purpose. Happy. Sure. Yep. Yep. That he would serve and he would sacrifice as he's playing out that role of Christ to bring joy to her. Um, and I was thinking about this and I was thinking like God, why was that the case? And th- this is my best answer to it after looking at it and studying it. I think what God's doing is saying, look, you've got two wars going on: the war at home and the war outside the, the city gates. They can win the one out there without you. They can't win the war at home without you. Nobody else is going to win that war. There are other people who can go fight that battle. This is yours. This is your home front. You take care of this one. This one's important. I want you to win here. I can help them win there. You need to win here. And and this is uh, so important for us to get started out on that foot right in marriage or at least get to that place where we get back to a place where where we we make that a priority to be with each other, to serve each other, especially that first year. Um, I, I'll, I'll go so far as to say this. He wants you to care more about her happiness than national security, that you would care more about how well she's doing, how love she feels, than everything else. And I, I, I think uh, as guys especially, we can get pretty passionate about defending our, our country and you know making sure everything's yep. good. And God's going, hey, guess what? I am more passionate about how you care for that person you share life with. The other side of Team Payne or the other side yep. of Team Saxinger. That's that's where your priorities got to be. What are your thoughts on that? Who who are you winning the war for? Who are you fighting the war for? I mean, I think that comes back to that somewhat. And I think the other thing, too, is, you know, I've experienced some things in my life when uh, some trauma has uh, – impacted me and there's a period of time uh, where my instincts and judgment uh, 
are affected by that because I'm not grounded, I'm not centered. Uh, and I think when you don't have a good, strong marriage, you're not grounded and you're not centered. So your instincts and, mm. and, and the decisions you make might not actually be the right ones. Yeah. So I think there's some real value if you're going to be married, that that marriage be a sound and, and, and valuable one that allows you to truly be who you're meant to be. Yeah, for that to become a safe place to be vulnerable, to be imperfect without feeling like that's going to get used as leverage against me or that's going to get taken advantage of and people's gonna, people are going to say, yeah, you are stupid. You know, I made you feel that way because you are. Like, we, we've got to create that scenario where it's okay to be imperfect. And I would say for us to uh, to have a marriage that emphasizes grace. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I want to give you a quote and just get your thoughts on it. Gary Thomas says this, and, and we'll wrap up in just a minute here. But he says, do I use this knowledge to crush her? He's talking about when, when we when we see our spouses fail. Do I use this knowledge to crush her, humiliate her, or gain power over her? Or do I use it to gently and lovingly lead her into imitating the character of Jesus Christ? What do I use it for? You know, is it an opportunity to promote myself and demote them? Is it not more enjoyable to have your mate, see your mate grow and become stronger and wiser, and you benefit from that, than to you be the one? Wow. Yeah. In the long run, what what is better for the team? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you look at grace and how it's central to everything God is doing with us, and um, man, it just makes sense for us to say, if that's how he works with us, what you know? What would it look like if if we work that way with each other? I love uh, the scripture where it says that in Christ we're a new creation. The old the old is gone, right? Yep. The new is here. And so this idea of what, maybe I should look at them that way. If I could see past the faults and failures and see with eyes of love to say, yep, it's like you never messed up before. Yeah. All right. So let, let's give some homework out for our groups. Uh, conversation starters. Would love for you to read that Ephesians five eighteen to to the end there. Um, and, uh, look for this, try and search for what the point of marriage is. Is marriage just there to be marriage or is there something beyond it? And so then if there's something beyond it, like, what is that? And how does that change day to day marriage routine? Like, how does that change household responsibilities? How does that change, you know, uh, the way that you respond to failures? How does it change the way that you communicate? Um, you know, so what's the point of it? Ephesians five. And then once you figure out the point, how does that change every day? And, uh, you know, Ephesians five, I want you to wrestle with that idea of as to the Lord, like as to Jesus, what, what is it, what, what makes it difficult and what makes it successful to say, I'm going to live a marriage that loves based on who Jesus is, not my spouse is right. So would love for you to be able to check that out. Hey, um, we're a big, big fans of marriage being done right because I think it's more than just chemical. It's more than just physical. I think it's spiritual, and I think it's going to give you an incredible joy in life. And the reality is I think that points to a joy um, that God wants to have with us forever in heaven. He made that possible through his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, raising to life. And he said, hey, um, whoever believes in me will live after they die. So we hope to all be celebrating this one day together. Love you, and uh, check back in another time. Thanks. Thank you.